unconditional and unwavering love for us. At our church, we believe that Jesus is God. We also affirm that you may or may not believe that Jesus is God. And we're not asking you to change your belief system before you attend our church. We're simply inviting you on a journey toward Jesus. For years, churches have placed a high priority on Jesus as the get-out-of-hell-free card. At our church, we place the highest priority on Jesus as a live-life-to-the-fullest invitation. At our church, we believe every person has a dream deep inside their hearts, and that God put that dream there, not for our glory, but for His. At our church, we're not concerned with where you've been, but where you're going. At our church, we believe that the Bible is God's Word. It is real. It is living. It is active. We believe that people who don't go to church anywhere are not the enemy. They are real people who need the perfect love that only God can give. And we believe that God gives this love through, of all people, us. At our church, we do not and we will not display a holier-than-thou attitude toward anyone. We are all broken people, but He is putting us back together. And finally, and most importantly, at our church, we believe that Jesus really lived, that He really died on the cross, and that He really rose again on the third day. And we cannot and we will not candy coat or water down that message, ever. Today, you've chosen to sit yourself in the middle of a very safe place to hear a potentially dangerous message. Welcome to our church. Good morning. <laughs> How is everyone today? Merry Christmas. All right, kiddos, why don't you come up and join me? They have a special song prepared for you. This is going to be good.
It figures that it would be mine who act up, right? <laughs> we have a bunch of Christmas carols for you today. Stand with us and sing, let's celebrate Jesus.
You can be seated and kids can go upstairs. Um, just a remind, reminder, we're going to do communion now, um, and this is a time for offerings, and so if you have something um, that you want to give, there's tithe cards up there and at your table. There's also cards that you can fill out if you have a prayer request or a need or you're new, and um, we'd like to know a little bit more about you. Um, and then just a reminder how we do communion. So we come up, we sanitize our hands. Um, we take our piece of bread, we dip it in the grape juice, and then go find someone to pray with because we don't do communion alone here. Um, and uh, let them know your needs and um, anything you want to share, and we, we pray for each other and spend a little time in fellowship. Um, and then just one last thing, uh, we do ask that you do have a relationship with Christ if you come and do communion. Um, so I read something from Max Lucado last night, and I love reading his stuff because as you start reading it, you're just like, like an awe comes over. You can almost hear the quiet, even though it's already like quiet. I don't know how to explain it, but I'm like, this is great stuff. <laughs> um, and he says, the moment Jesus was born, God made his case. There is no place he will not go. If he is, not, if he is willing to be born in a barnyard, then expect him to be at work anywhere, in the bars, in the bedroom, in the boardrooms. No place is too common or secret. No person is too hardened or too far gone. No distance too far. No limit to his love. When Christ was born, so was hope. God became one of us so that we can become one with him. In John six thirty five, it says, And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. Jesus, we just thank you that you came as hope. And in a world that's gone mad, <laughs> just remind us, settle in us, God, the peace and the hope that you brought this season for the rest of time. That you went from the cradle to the cross, from the stable to the table, God. We just thank you for who you are. We pray that you just um, are with us during this communion, God as we remember what you were born for. In Jesus' name, amen. You can come up. Do you know that all the dark won't stop the light? 
Good morning, everybody. I got a couple of announcements. Going to make it quick. Um, there is a Christmas Eve service. Oh, my phone just shut off. Christmas Eve service at Arundacoit Vineyard Church at 6 on Christmas Eve. Uh, if you need any details, see Pastor Rob about that. Uh, we also have the water baptism coming up on the 29th at Adonai Assembly of God. Um, reach out to Stacy for info on that one. Uh, also, the New Year's Eve party at Salmon Creek is New Year's Eve at 7. Um, and I got another couple announcements. Bring a dish to pass. Are we, do we have a list for that? Just bring food, period. Good. Uh, fresh one at the gate. We have some January events. It's game day with pizza on the 1st from 12 to 5. Woo! Um, and on the 3rd is Extreme Capture the Flag from 12 to 5 as well. We also have some weekly stuff going on. Make sure to check it out. There's a lot of information on their website. And uh, Trista, Caleb, Kathy, all of them know what's going on. That's all I got. Merry Christmas, everybody. Good morning. Merry Christmas. I know it's it's that amazing time of year where we all uh, hope that we are treated the way we want to be treated, right? That at the store and in the grocery line and at the uh, the post office, that we want to be treated well. And hopefully you have been over the last few weeks as we've been learning about how to be God's agents of peace and hope and joy, that you have been bringing peace and hope and joy to the people around you. Today we're going to talk about love. As, as we have the, the fourth candle of Advent, or the fourth lantern of Advent lit uh, for us this morning, as uh, we look forward to Christmas on Wednesday, as we prepare our hearts. I just want to read the Christmas account out of Luke chapter 2. It says, At that time, this decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all returned to their ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth, And laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby 
lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that from the very beginning, your plan was to rescue us. That your plan was to send your Son for us. The greatest gift. Lord, I pray that this morning, that as we unpack what that means to love, Christmas time and all the other times of the year, that you would strengthen our hearts, that you would help us, that you would increase our capacity to love the people in our lives, the people that you place in our path. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The word love, as we have talked over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about that the Christmas season is a season where we think about peace, right? And we explored, we unpacked what that word in Hebrew, shalom, means not just absence of conflict, not just we're not going to fight over the dinner table, over the holidays, that the, the word shalom means complete. And so when when God says that peace on earth, it means his completeness on earth, that, that he brings that, that he's the prince. I, I love this. We're going we're gonna to watch a video uh, at the end of our, our time together. And, and I want you to look for it because there's this one moment where it's talking about all the things that Isaiah says that Jesus is going to be, that he is the everlasting father, that he is the, the, the comforter, the, the great counselor. He is the prince of peace. In the video, watch what it says about who he is because it's perfect. We've, thought, we've talked about peace. We've talked about hope. And that the idea of hope is a sense of waiting, right? And that we're, they, were, they had been waiting and waiting and waiting for the Messiah to come. And then he shows up and he's nothing that they were looking for. It was nothing that they expected. They were hoping for a, a, a warrior to come and kick the Romans out. They were hoping for a king of the line of David who is going to be born in a palace, and instead he's born in a, in a potentially a, a cave, and he's laid in a food trough. And the first people to visit him are guys who don't even have a voice. They, don't, they can't vote. No one would trust them. Uh, shepherds were, were the, the lowest of, of the low that their testimony didn't even count in, in court because you, who could trust a, ch- a shepherd? And so God chooses to have his son born in a smelly food trough. The first eyewitnesses are guys who can't even testify in court. And that sense of we were waiting for him to show, and he shows, and they don't get it. He goes through his whole ministry, and they still don't get it. We've gone for 2,000 years since he came, and there are still people that don't get it. We were waiting for him to come, and he came, and they missed it. How many times is that our story, too? That we're 
We're, we're waiting for him to show up in our lives. And he's like, I am right here. And not just that he's right here, but he is coming again. That's our blessed hope. That at some point, as, as, we, as we celebrate communion every week, it's a, it's a way for us to remember. We look back at what he did, and it's a reminder that he could come back today. He's coming back. That's our hope. We talked about peace. We've talked about hope. Last week, we talked about joy, right? And that joy is not dependent on your circumstances. Joy and happiness are not the same thing, right? We talked about how God really isn't concerned with your happiness. He's concerned that you are faithful. He's concerned that you're trusting him. He's concerned that that you are experiencing, he wants you to experience his joy because joy is regardless of circumstance, right? Today we're going to talk about love. And love, that word love is one of the sloppiest words in the English language um, because it, when we hear that word love, we in our, our English Western brains, that word refers to a feeling that happens to a person, right? That we have fallen in love. And, and it is so much more than that. Or we, we love the bills. And, 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 and we could take like the, 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 the hope that someday the Bills will make it to the playoffs. Maybe this year, right? The, the Bills fans are the most amazing uh, optimists. That they are, they, despite all of the evidence that is available, there is still that hope that this year could be the year. Right? Yeah, there we go. There's some amens. And, and you know, I mean, yesterday was a big deal. I, I, I don't care all that much about football. I was like... I was on pins and needles at my sister-in-law's house. Uh, we couldn't watch the game, but we were like, just have, I kept hitting uh, uh, renew on my Google News app just to keep getting, like, where's the ball now? Um, and the Bills did what the Bills do. Uh, and it was a good game. It was a fun game. It was a fun game to just Google refresh. Like, I was excited. I wasn't even watching the game. There, <laughs> It's what happens. But that's that hope, right? That, that, that Bills fans have joy regardless of their circumstances, that regardless of whether they win or lose, right? But in the New Testament, the word love is so much more than I love my favorite team or I love my favorite superhero or I love my favorite ice cream or I love my favorite place in the Adirondacks. The word in the New Testament, love, refers to a way of treating people that was defined by Jesus himself. It's an idea, it's a concept of seeking the well-being of others regardless of their response. That what Jesus calls us to do when we love, when we are operating, when we are operating as agents of his love, in this broken world, it's a, it's a sense that we are seeking the well-being of others regardless of their response. Let's take a look. We'll have our friends Tim and John kind of unpack the, the roots of this word love. So if you've heard of Jesus, you probably know about one of his famous teachings called the Golden Rule. 
do to others what you would want them to do to you. And this, actually, is a restatement of something else that Jesus said, that the meaning of life is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's really beautiful, but what does he mean exactly by the word love? It's an unclear word in English, because you can love your mom and you can love pizza. And if the word love means the same thing in both of those cases, your mom's going to feel real bad. So what did Jesus mean in his language? Well, first of all, this love your neighbor phrase is a quotation from the Hebrew scriptures, where the word for love is ahava. However, the language Jesus spoke and taught in from day to day it was a cousin language of Hebrew, that is Aramaic, in which the word for love is rachma. But then, as Jesus' followers spread his teachings around the world, they translated them into Greek using the word agape. But here's what's fascinating. The earliest followers of Jesus who wrote the books of the New Testament in Greek, they didn't learn the meaning of agape by looking it up in ancient dictionaries. Rather, they looked to the teachings of Jesus and the story of his life to redefine their very concept of love. So one time, Jesus was asked about the most important command in the Jewish scriptures. And he first quoted from the ancient prayer in the Torah called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So love for God is the most important thing. But then Jesus quickly followed up by saying another command from the Torah was also the most important, to love your neighbor as yourself. So which is the most important, loving God or loving your neighbor? Jesus' answer is yes. To ask the question means you don't get his point. For Jesus, they are two sides of the same coin. Your love for God will be expressed by your love for people and vice versa, they're inseparable. And so this makes it clear that for Jesus, agape love is not primarily a feeling for someone else that happens to you, like our phrase, I fell in love. For Jesus, love is action. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself. Jesus also went on to teach that genuine love for God and others means seeking people's well-being without expecting anything in return, especially from people who are in difficult situations who can't repay you even if they wanted to. According to Jesus, this kind of generous love reflects the very heartbeat of God. And he took this even further. Jesus said that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how well you treat the person that you can't stand. Or in his words, you shall love your enemy and do good to them, expecting nothing nothing in return. For Jesus, this kind of enemy-embracing love imitates the very character of God himself. Now, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus still today if he had only said things like love your enemy. This is how he actually lived. Jesus was constantly helping and serving the people around him in very practical and tangible ways. And he consistently moved towards poor and hurting people who couldn't benefit him in return. He showed love for the forgotten ones, the people who usually fall through the cracks. And when Jesus eventually marched into Jerusalem, he made himself an enemy of the leaders of his people by accusing them of hypocrisy and corruption. But then instead of attacking his enemies to overthrow them, he allowed them to kill him. Jesus died for the selfishness and corruption of his enemies because he loved them. After Easter morning, Jesus and then his followers claimed that it was the power of God's love for the world that was revealed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. As the Apostle Paul put it, God demonstrated his own agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us. Or in the words of the Apostle John, God's own agape was revealed when he sent his one and only son into the world so that through him we could have life. And for John, then, this leads naturally to the conclusion, beloved ones, if that's how God has loved us, then we ought to show love for one another. 
So Christian faith involves trusting that at the center of the universe is a being overflowing with love for his world, which means that the purpose of human existence is to receive this love that has come to us in Jesus and then to give it back out to others, creating an ecosystem of others-focused, self-giving love. And that's the New Testament meaning of agape love. Isn't that good? Uh, if you've been following along in our uh, Advent Bible reading plan in the YouVersion app, there were a couple of things that popped out over the last uh, last week that I wanted to share just again this morning that I really thought was powerful. And one of those thoughts was this. It said that Christmas is God's great exchange. That Jesus' life for all of ours that his love for us was that his concern was for our well-being and that he loves us so much that he sent his son and and this was this this hit me so hard as i was reading these words it said that jesus knew the cost of christmas and he embraced it so that we could embrace him and the eternal life that he has made available for us so as we celebrate this season, don't forget, we can only be forgiven and healed and set free because Jesus chose Christmas. I don't believe it was one of those situations. I, I know as a parent, there are times when I ask my kids to do something. And there are, there are those moments where you have uh, asked them to do something and they tell you, yes, of course, I will do that. It's kind of like the, the, um, that parable where, where Jesus is talking about uh, a, a father asks, a son, asks someone to do something, and they say they'll do it, and then they don't do it. Or you ask them to do something, and they say, no, I won't do it, and then you turn around, and then they go do it, right? And, and so I, there was this moment this past weekend where uh, we had a busy, crazy house. And there was a mess pretty much in every space of our house. And we, we, my wife and I got up and we made breakfast for the kids and for ourselves. And um, there was just a lot that needed to be done. Dishes piling up in the sink. And sometimes when you ask teenagers to help you to do things they they give you a hard time i may i know that your children don't uh your children are all perfect and they always do what you ask them to do Uh, but sometimes you get absolutely blown away that there was all of this work that needed to be done and then you you turn around because you hear this noise in the kitchen Because one of your children recognized that there was a need and before being asked to do it, chose to go meet the need. Right? That a a, a 13-year-old boy would voluntarily get up from his video games and go start washing dishes without being asked. I thought, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Like the, the... what is going on? 
He chose. Right? And so it's, it's, I don't believe that when, when in heaven, when the plan was, the Father is going to send the Son, that Jesus was like, oh, do I have to? I'm playing a video game here. Don't you see that I'm busy? That, that Jesus, cho- he understood what needed to happen, and he chose Christmas knowing that Easter was coming. Knowing that, that, that Good Friday, which was not a good day for him, it was a good day for us, he chose it. And we can only be forgiven and healed and set free because Jesus chose Christmas. Because he loved us. In Royal Rangers, we teach our young men to memorize the golden rule. Any Royal Rangers in here? One. did what's the golden rule i know remind me again treat your neighbor as right matthew 7 12 or in luke chapter 6 verse 31 do to others as you would like them to do to you right and we take that and we twist that right we're going to do it to you before you do it to me um because i you know it's it's preemptive and that's not what jesus meant but that we are to treat others the way that we want to be treated. I, every year we have this moment in our family when we're driving in a car or we're listening to the radio and that song comes on. The dreaded Christmas shoe song. Can't stand that song. I know there are people who love that song and I love you and you get to go to heaven. Um, but that song is horrible. Um, but in honor of the Christmas shoe song, I have a Christmas shoe story, but it's different. So it's probably just as sappy. So, yeah. So one cold winter's day, a 10-year-old boy was standing barefoot in front of a shoe store. Peering through the window and shivering with cold, this lady approached the boy and asked him what he was doing. And he replied, I was asking God to give me a pair of shoes. So she took him by the hand and they went into the store and asked the clerk to get a half dozen pair of socks for the boy. And then she asked if she could, if he could give her a basin of water and a towel. And he brought them to her. Why he had a basin of water and a towel in a shoe store, I don't know. But he had them. And he took, she took the boy to the back part of the store and she knelt down and she washed his little feet and dried them with a towel. And by this time, the clerk had returned with the socks. Placing a pair upon his feet, she purchased for him a pair of shoes. And tying up the remaining pair of socks, she gave them to him. And she patted him on the head and said, I'm, I'm hopeful that you're feeling more comfortable now. And as she turned to go, the astonished young man caught her by the hand and looked up at her in her face and with tears in his eyes, answered her question with these words, Are you God's wife? Right? That this this love that we're talking about isn't just this warm, fuzzy feeling of uh, at Christmas time that we love those that don't deserve to be loved or that we love those that, that God puts in our lives and, and then forget. But this is that annual reminder oh yeah we're supposed to love people in january when it's dark and cold 
and and slushy. That we're supposed to love people in February when it's still dark and cold and slushy. And we're supposed to love people in March when it's a little less dark but it's still cold and slushy. That we're supposed to love people in April where hopefully the slush is gone but it might not be gone. That we're supposed to love people in May and June and July. And please don't let it be slushy in July and August and and September and October and November when it's slushy again. And then we remember, oh, it's Christmas time. Yeah, we're supposed to love our neighbor. I love that 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 Jesus said in Mark chapter twelve, verse thirty one, not just love God, but the second one is equally as important to love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And he pulls that from these two passages that they talked about in the video, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. Then Leviticus 19, 18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. And then he puts this stamp on the end of this command. Right? It's not just don't, Seek revenge. Don't hold a grudge. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. And then he says, I am the Lord. It's like, this is not an optional. This is not a maybe if you have time to. He's saying, love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says that, but God showed his great love his great agape for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. While we were still choosing to not do what He said. He sent His Son for us. It's hard. It's hard for us to be those agents of love in a world where we don't get that reciprocation back. When our coworkers don't treat us the way that we think we should be treated. When our children don't treat us the way that we think that we should be treated. When our spouses maybe don't treat us the way we think we should be treated. It's hard. Jesus didn't say, do it because it's easy. He said, do it because I'm showing you how to do it. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 says, God showed how much He loved for us by sending His one and only Son into the world that we might have eternal life through Him. He loved us first. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11 says, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. How do we do that? What does that look like? How do we show that love to the people that He places into our lives? It's kind of open-ended. What do you think? How do we show that love? With respect, yeah? Show appreciation, yeah? Kindness? Forgiveness? 
patience. Those are all great um, high-level concept words. What are some practical ways that we can show his love and be his agents of love? What do you think? Acknowledge them, right? And in, in, in how? how? How would you do that? Okay, yeah, yeah. What's that? Do dishes when you're not asked. Yeah. Visiting the sick and the lonely. Yeah. Right? That you're together. Because sometimes you can be together and not be present. Right? There, there was this one moment that I just, it, it struck me. Because you think that kids are the ones that are tied to their screens and their devices. And there was this moment that I went to go visit my parents, and they were both sitting in dueling recliners, and they both had their devices. And neither, and, and I think they were even texting each other. Right? So you... Right, right. So she wants his attention, text, right? But we can be together and not be together. So being present, yeah, that's a good one. Absolutely. We, Terry and I and, and Joy went to go visit Carol yesterday. And, um, and if you, if, for those of you that have been going up to visit Carol, thank you so much for doing that, uh, especially at this time of the year. And Carol, uh, hopefully you got my link and you're watching us. Merry Christmas. We miss you. We love you. Yeah, say Merry Christmas to Carol. One, two, three. Merry Christmas, Carol. Um, but I, we, we got to visit Carol and just spend some time with her. And she has this beautiful roommate uh, named Carlotta. And so if Carlotta, you're listening, Merry Christmas. Um, and, and so I brought communion. And it was, it's one of those things where, you know, communion can take many different forms. And my, my mom, when I got ordained, she bought me this communion set so that you can take communion to people who can't come to church and for some brilliant reason, I brought it to the office here, and we were in Spencerport and needed to go to uh, the East Henrietta Road. And so I was like, "Well, let's go just I'll just go buy some grape juice." And I had a piece of of non bread that uh, was in the house, put that in a Ziploc bag, and I'll get some grape juice. And so I'm thinking I can just get one of those little bottles of grape juice that should be all that we need. And, of course, Tops doesn't sell little bottles of grape juice. So we have this giant bottle of grape juice. And I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to dispense this grape juice because, I mean, I suppose I could have just given the giant bottle of grape juice and because Carol, Carol can't use her hands, and so she has to drink with a straw. And, and so I'm like, well, that's not, that's how weird is that? Here's, here, you know, we go through the communion uh, celebration, and here's the bread, and this is now the, the blood of Christ, and let's put your straw in this big giant thing of juice. I'm like, no, that's not going to work. And, and and I don't know why in the juice aisle that the little red solo shot glasses are in that aisle, but I'm like, oh, that'll work. That's communion cup size. So we have little red solo cup shot glasses for for Carol to have her communion, I probably could have just gone and bought grapes, right? Like we do when we do at Church at the Beach, right? The self-contained juice apparatus, also known as grapes, that uh, give her her bread, give her her juice. And, and it struck me that I had come to bring communion to Carol 
And her beautiful roommate loves Jesus. And I thought, well, I can't serve communion to Carol and not serve it to Carlotta. And so I just kind of leaned over the other side of the curtain. I said, Carlotta, would you like to have communion too? And her eyes lit up. And it was just a beautiful moment to share communion with these two beautiful ladies who love Jesus and are, are stuck. They're, they're not where they want to be. And they can't reciprocate anything because they're stuck. But to be able to bring that love to them in a tangible way, to just say, I just want you to know you're not forgotten, that he, he loves you and He's with you. Those are some of the things that we can do. Now, we don't have to wait for Christmas to do it. Here's another one, I think, that's pretty powerful. We just had the, the privilege of being able to share Christmas baskets with some families here in our community who are struggling. They, they, they don't have the resources to be able to pull off a, a Christmas dinner, and, and maybe they don't have the resources to be able to give their children Christmas presents. And so we, for five families here in our community, we dropped off food and gifts How about this? Maybe love looks like this. That maybe in January you drop something off at your Christmas basket family. Maybe in February you pick up some flowers and maybe a bottle of sparkling grape juice and you drop something off for Valentine's Day for your Christmas basket family. Maybe in March you grab some corned beef and cabbage and and bring them something for you. I'm not saying don't bring green beer. Uh, corned beef and cabbage, right? Bless them. Find ways throughout this year to love on your Christmas basket family more than just at Christmas. Because I think sometimes people feel like, oh yeah, the Christians love us at Christmas time because they're all warm and fuzzy and, and Jesus-y. But then January comes and where are they, Right? Because it feels good to do that thing at Christmas and, and, and we like, oh, I've done my good deed for the year. But Jesus didn't say just love them when you celebrate my birthday. He said love them even when they can't love you back, even when they can't pay you back. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. I love this story. Uh, about a, this gentleman whose name is Oswald Golter, and he was a missionary in northern China in the 1940s. And uh, after 10 years of service, he was returning home, and the ship back then, you didn't fly uh, from China, you took a boat. And so he got on the boat in China, and to get back home, um, he, uh, he was English, so he's trying to get back to England which is a whole lot harder than trying to get back to the States because you just go across the Pacific, which isn't easy. Um, But to get back to England, you've got to go all the way around. And so uh, after 10 years of serving as a missionary in China, his ship stops in India. And while they're waiting for the boat uh, to go home, he found a group of refugees living in a warehouse on the pier. And no one wanted to have anything to do with them. They were unwanted. They, they were stranded. They had nothing. And so he went to go visit them. And it was Christmas time. 
And he wanted to wish them a Merry Christmas and, and ask them what they would like for Christmas. And it's, it's one of those things where there's that one Christmas song that all the rock bands played in the 80s. Uh, do they know it's Christmas time at all? Right? Remember that? When all the, all the rock bands got together and they recorded that, that Christmas song and, and, and we played it forever. We still play it and I hear it and I'm just, oh, it's, it's, the, it's the, the Christmas shoe of Christmas songs. Uh, that do they know it's Christmas time at all? And I remember someone saying, uh, do they care it's Christmas time at all? They're Muslims. They don't celebrate Christmas. And, and so here's this moment for this gentleman who is seeing a group of people that are stranded and trapped and have no hope at all. And he asks them what they want for Christmas. And they say, we're not Christians. We don't believe in Christmas. And he responded, he said, I know. But what do you want for Christmas? And so these refugees described some, some pastries that they were fond of. And so he took his ticket home and he cashed it in so that he had money. And then he went and used the money to buy baskets and baskets of these pastries and food, and he took it to the rest to the refugees and wished them a Merry Christmas. Now, later when he was responding to a group of his students, one of the students asked him, but sir, why did you do that for them? They weren't Christians, and they, they don't even believe in Jesus. And his response to them was, I know I do. Right? That's what love looks like. That's what love looks like. Um, There is a a really an an awesome uh, faith community in New Zealand. And over the years, they have produced some of the most amazing Christmas uh, video stories, telling the story of Christmas. Do you guys remember when we showed the video of the little kids dressed up as as all the characters in the Christmas story. And um, this is the Christmas video that they put together this year uh, called This is Christmas. And I want us to check this out. He was born like any one of us, a helpless infant made of flesh and bone, but grew into a man who turned things upside down. He told us to love even when we are hated to have faith in the unseen. He came as the Messiah, the King we had been waiting for. But this King was not what we had expected. He said that whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. He told us not to hustle for position and power but that whoever wants to become great among you must become a servant. He redefined true freedom. He showed us what true life really looks like. Who is this Jesus? For the light of truth was about to come into the world and shine upon everyone. He entered into the very world He created, yet the world was unaware. 
He came to the very people He created, to those who should have recognized Him, but they did not receive Him. But those who embraced Him and took hold of His name were given authority to become the children of God. He was not born by the joining of human parents, or from natural means, or by a man's desire, but He was born of God. And so the Word became a man and lived among us. And we gazed upon the splendor of His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, overflowing with tender mercy and truth. Who is this Jesus? For a child has been born for us, the gift of a son for us. He'll take over the running of the world. His names will be Amazing Counselor, Strong God, Eternal Father, Prince of Wholeness. His ruling authority will grow, and there'll be no limits to the wholeness He brings. This is Jesus. This is Christmas. Christmas is God's great exchange. Jesus' life for all of ours. He knew the cost of Christmas and he embraced it so that we could embrace him and the eternal life that he makes available to us. As we celebrate this season, don't forget. We can only be forgiven and healed and set free because Jesus chose Christmas. He chose you. This morning as we close, my Christmas gift to you is we are early. But as we, as we close in prayer, I want to pray this prayer together. It's actually the prayer from our devotion this morning, if you're reading it. And um, I'll... Uh, I'll read it, and then we'll kind of participate in it, right? So it's one of those things, if you've been in church, where I will let you know what the words are, and then you join along with me. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for coming to save a world. Jesus, thank you for coming to save a world that disowned you for so long. Thank you for wanting a relationship with me. when I was completely unrighteous and separated from you. I know you love the entire world. And I want to be your hands and feet, continuing to reach out to those far from you. Use me to carry your love to my world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. He calls us to be agents of hope, agents of wholeness.
that he puts us back together so that we can bring his wholeness to a broken world. That's what peace means. He calls us to have hope that it's not going to be forever, that there is going to be an answer to those things that we are waiting for, that, that he wants to, to come through for you. He wants us to be agents of his joy, bringing joy to those who are hurting. He wants us to be his agents of love, loving those who may, maybe they can't even pay you back. Love them like we love him. I love how Tim said it in the video. So what is it? Are we supposed to love God or are we supposed to love our neighbor? And the answer is yes. It's both. It's not either or. It's both and. So this Christmas, I want to encourage you to look for opportunities to bring hope and peace and joy and love to your coworkers, to your family members, to your, your neighbors. Be His hands and feet of love this Christmas season. Amen? blessings. Have a wonderful Christmas. If you're available and you've got nothing else going on on Christmas Eve, you're welcome to come join us. We'll be at the Arondacoit Vineyard Church in Arondacoit. Um, you can Google it. It's the only vineyard church in Arondacoit. Services from 6 to 7. I know the bulletin says 6 to 9. It's not 6 to 9. It's from 6 to 7. It's just an hour. And um, we'd love to have you come join with us. And then don't forget that the next Sunday, the 29th, uh, we have church here. And then in the evening, we are going to Adonai Assembly of God in the city uh, for our water baptism service. If you've not been water baptized and would like to, you don't want to wait until church at the beach, um, please let me know that. And um, we'll be doing that uh, next Sunday night. Blessings. Have a merry, merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.